Good morning. It's a beautiful Lord's Day morning. Thank you for being here. It's really good to be out with y'all this morning, and I'm just so excited to share in the privilege of studying with you guys and growing together with you as we all grow towards our Heavenly Father. If you want to, you can turn to 2 Chronicles 20. That's where we're going to be for the majority of this lesson. I want you just for a second to think about the examples in scriptures of faith and steadfastness and and dedication to God. You probably think of David in the face of Goliath and Saul. You might think of Noah in the face of the flood. Rahab in the face of the king of Jericho. Moses in the face of Pharaoh and oftentimes his own people. And the list can go on and on and on and on. There's these stories that we've kind of grown up hearing since we were kids, a lot of us. And that's for pretty good reason. They're inspiring. We want to be like these men and women. We want to model our faith after them in some way. The story in 2 Chronicles 20 centers around King Jehoshaphat. I don't know about you guys, but I did not hear a lot about Jehoshaphat growing up. He's not in Hebrews 11. He doesn't make many people's list of favorite Bible characters. He's not exactly one of those household names. But I find him to be a fascinating and compelling man. He's one of my favorite men in the Bible to study. And so for this morning, we're going to look a little bit about King Jehoshaphat's finest hour. And we're going to see what we can apply to our faith from it. So we're in the divided kingdom here, and Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah, the southern kingdom at the time. And up to this point, what the chronicler has told us about Jehoshaphat is that he's a pretty good king, just like his father Asa was most of the time. King Jehoshaphat has shown himself to be faithful to God by being proactive in stopping Baal worship and Asherim worship at these high places. And because of this aggressive anti-idolatry action, the scriptures say that God was with him. I think up to this point, we can say that things had been pretty easy for King Jehoshaphat. Second uh, Chronicles 17.10 says, The fear of the Lord fell upon all the kingdoms of the lands that were around Judah, and they made no war against Jehoshaphat. Other than a sort of on-again, off-again alliance with Israel that definitely led him into some major trouble, Jehoshaphat had very few problems in his reign thus far. We could say, with pretty, pretty, uh, we could pretty surely say that life was good for him at this point. And then we get into 2 Chronicles 20. And if you're there, just read the first two verses with me. 2 Chronicles 20, verses 1 and 2. And after this, the Moabites and the Ammonites and With them, some of the Munites had come up against Jehoshaphat for battle. 
Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom and from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazion Tamar, that is, in Gedi. So after Jehoshaphat institutes some of these major political and religious reforms, he gets news that there's a group of, enem- a group of enemies that are heading for Judah. The Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Munites are all coming. Three on one, so to speak. And that's not good odds. And yet somehow, it's really even worse than it sounds at a first glance. Because uh, if you look at this map with me, you can see that the Ammonites are kind of, you know, north, northeast of Judah. And if you look, the Moabites are straight east, really. And although we don't know exactly who the Munites were, they came from Mount Seir. So that's, we're talking south, southeast. And Judah's in the middle. So basically what we're saying here is that Judah is pinned in on all sides by a great multitude, an army that likely vastly outnumbered Judah's own. They're trapped. It's not really looking good for Jehoshaphat and Judah. And not only are these enemies coming, but they're already in in Gedi, which is on the coast of the Dead Sea. They're halfway up Judah's territory. They didn't knock on the door politely. They just kind of kicked it down and came on in. They're already here. Surprise. And of course... That makes this a pretty important crossroads for Jehoshaphat. He has, from everything that we have recorded for us in Scripture so far, had a relatively easy job. No one's been coming to war against Judah. He was well respected by the people. He got his reform plans achieved. It's gone really well. And God has blessed him. And in a situation like that, it's pretty easy to have a, a sort of fair weather faith. I think we've all been guilty of that at times in our life, where you side with God because he's treating you pretty well. You have faith, you have trust, but it's not really because you actually have developed a strong trust for God. It's because you don't really have much reason to not trust him. Everything's going pretty well for you. It's easy to have faith right, when, that, when you're in that kind of situation. It's easy to have faith when there's nothing pressing against you. If you'll recall, that's what Satan accused Job of in Job chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, where he says, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But if you stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, he will curse you to your face. And I think this, in a way, is a similar moment for Jehoshaphat, right? God had put a hedge around him. His enemies respected him. His enemies had made peace with him. And now that hedge has been taken away from him. So this is a time of great personal tribulation for Jehoshaphat and national turmoil for Judah. So how will Jehoshaphat react? Will he abandon God and concede to his enemies? 
Or maybe he'll do what many great leaders are tempted to do, that, that in this time of stress, he's going to try to work salvation and deliverance with his own hand. Or will he cling to God in his time of distress? I think you already know the answer, but let's just read it anyways. Uh, if you're back in Second Chronicles 20, we're going to read verses 3 through 13 to find out. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid, and he set his face to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and they have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house and cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And we'll stop there for right now. So again here, when Jehoshaphat's back is against the wall, he and all Judah come together before the Lord and they humble themselves and they pray to him. And in this prayer, Jehoshaphat, though he is a great king, though he is well respected by the people, he admits to being completely powerless before his enemies. He admits to being completely lost on how to solve the issue in front of him, which I think is a great feat. I mean, this is kind of a side note, but I think sometimes we get the idea that leaders should always have solutions, that our leaders should always know exactly what to do at all times. It's kind of part of our society's unwarranted obsession with confidence. And so to be a good leader in some people's eyes, you can't admit doubt. You can't admit helplessness, which is ridiculous, right? But here in his humility, Jehoshaphat, though a great leader, shows us that a great leader can admit his own inadequacy in front of his people. And of course, the point being that Jehoshaphat is modeling a reliance on God to the people. He's showing them that they can trust in God. And what a great example that he sets here as a leader. Jehoshaphat showing the people his faith in God, even when it is very difficult. Even when there are great enemies to God's people all around, 
even when their lives and their society and everything that they know and love is threatened, they still trust in God. Let's pick back up with the story in verses 14 through 19. Well, I guess verse 13, because I forgot to read that. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mattaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. And then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And here's what we can really consider the promise of this story. These are the words that the story, I think, hinges on. Because up to this point, neither Jehoshaphat nor the people of Judah have had any direct communication from God. But here they do. God sends word to these men that if they prepare for battle, he's going to take care of the entire nation. So here is the promise that God gives to Jehoshaphat and to Judah. Do not be afraid. Trust me and I'll save you. And it's obvious for us to say, because we're sitting here at church and we're reading the Bible, that of course Jehoshaphat and Judah should trust God here. But I want you to think for a second with me. If there was no word from God, If God hadn't just spoken to the people of Judah, would it make sense to say that you're going to win a battle by coming to the battle and just kind of standing there instead of fighting? Because that's really what God calls Jehoshaphat and his people to do here. God calls the people to go out to battle, but not to fight, to just sit there and watch. How much trust does that take? I would say a lot. You know, I could see the people saying, you know, we said we were humble. We said we were helpless in our situation. But this, this is ridiculous. You want us to go to the battle and you want us to just sit there? That's our great plan? You want us in a time where our nation is in dire trouble, a time where there's threats on all sides to just sit there? Just sit there like targets ready to be picked off one by one. So then there's a choice for the people here. Will they stay humble and choose to rely on God to fight their battle for them? Or will they try to use their own plan, their own more logical way to solve the problem for themselves? And let's start reading back in verse 20. 
And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe in his prophets and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise them in holy attire. And as they went before the army to say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And we'll pick up reading in a second, but I just want to focus. They chose to rely on God's promise here. It may not make sense to human logic, but Jehoshaphat knew that God had everything worked out. And if God says, show up to the battle and sit there, you can do that and you can do it confidently, knowing that God will fulfill his promises. And the people of Judah showed trust in that way. In fact, they take heart by singing praises to the Lord, which I think is just an incredible picture given the circumstances with danger and uncertainty floating around them, with an army coming directly towards them. Jehoshaphat makes sure that they enter this battle singing praises to God, which is just a great thought. But now let's read, uh, let's just finish out the story, verses 22 through 30. And when they began to sing praise, sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end to the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground, because none had escaped. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, and precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were three days in taking the spoil, it was so much. And on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barakah, For there they bless the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place has been the Valley of Barakah to this day. Then they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. Thus Jehoshaphat reigned over Judah. Of course, as we know, the Lord conquered these armies for Judah. The Lord cleared the enemies from the land. And Jehoshaphat is brought a great victory for his reliance on God. In what is just such a wonderful and interesting story... But of course, we're here in part to see what we can learn from this story. So let's hit some applications and the lesson will be yours. And for starters, I just want to say the bad times are going to come. If God blesses you and you live long enough on this earth, you are going to face trials. It may be consequences of your past actions It may be like Job, and it's a test of your resolve and faith. It may simply just be the result of living in a fallen earth, as we say sometimes. 
but you're gonna face trials. And that's no matter if you're a Christian or not. You can do the right things, you can devote yourself to God, and you're still gonna face trials. Job was a faithful servant of the Lord and he went through awful trials. Jehoshaphat was a good king who hated idolatry and reformed the nation. And he went through this story. I mean, Jesus was the perfect son of God and he suffered in all sorts of ways and was killed. Being a good Christian, doing the right thing does not excuse you from bad times. You are going to go through trials. And so then some might say, what's the benefit of following God then? Why bother being a Christian if it's not going to make me healthy and wealthy? And I think we see the answer to that question in this story. Because there is no question that this was an awful time for Jehoshaphat and for all Judah well, they found great comfort in their God. And more than that, they found deliverance in God. And as Christians, we have that same great God that we can go to. If you want to turn to Psalm chapter 27, Psalm 27 with me, and we're going to read verses 1 through 3, because I think it just says it so well. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, as it did Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Our God is a God who strengthens his people. Our Lord is a Lord who calls in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Our God is a God who we have to stick to in our trials. We can't have a fair weather faith. We have to, like Jehoshaphat in this story, cling to God in our times of trial. And that's easy to say. It really is. I could sit up here and say that over and over again all day, but it's a lot harder to actually do, isn't it? It's a lot harder to find God when everything is overwhelming and everything is just awful. When sorrows like sea billows roll. So I'm going to try to spend a few our few remaining minutes discussing a few ways that we can seek God in our trials. Ways that I think are modeled for us in 2 Chronicles 20. And a good place to start is prayer. After all, I think prayer is the turning point for Jehoshaphat's trial here. He was faced with a problem that he knew he couldn't solve on his own. He was helpless. He admitted that himself. And in times like that, it's easy to feel isolated from God. After all, God is the creator of the universe. He is so far above us in every single way. What am I to him? I think sometimes we're almost afraid of, 
annoying God with our little problems. But that's not what we see modeled in the scripture. Psalm 145, the psalm that we opened our service with, verses 14 through 20 say this. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and he saves them. The Lord watches over all who love them, but all the wicked he will destroy. Our God wants us to bring our problems to him. Our God wants us to rely on him. And that's in the big trials, the stuff that you don't even understand, let alone know what to do in, like Jehoshaphat was facing here. But it's also in your small day-to-day challenges. It's in the life-changing decisions, yes, but it's also in the little decisions. We have to let God completely control our life. We have to understand that we cannot guide ourselves through life. We cannot enter God's reward. We cannot conquer our trials on our own merit and logic. We have to rely on God through prayer. And it is such an honor to be able to take all of our problems and our worries to God. Though in the scheme of things, our problems are nothing before him, yet he allows us to bring everything to him, which is incredible. And if we do that, if we fully rely on him, we will receive what we need from God. And another similar point is don't be afraid to ask God questions. Don't be afraid to be vulnerable with God. I think sometimes, and I don't know why this happens, we get the idea that it's somehow improper to tell God that you don't understand his plan. To admit to God that you don't really know how he can work a particular trial for good. And I get it. We don't want to question God. We don't want to put him to the test. And that's an admirable intention But you can see throughout scriptures, and I think we can see in our own personal experience, humans are designed to question things sometimes. We are designed with a curiosity and a desire for knowledge, aren't we? And I think that curiosity is going to extend to the weightier matters of sin and God's plan and his love. We're going to need to ask these questions and really grapple with some of the complex issues of our faith. And if we don't, we probably aren't studying the scriptures and meditating on them enough. But we don't want to do that. We don't want to ask questions of God. But I think Jehoshaphat gives us a good example on how to ask God questions in faith. Because I think it's possible. And it starts with humility. He says, Lord, we don't know what to do. Joseph didn't come to God in anger, asking, why don't you do things my way? Why couldn't you have figured out a better way where I didn't have to go through these trials? That would be foolish. 
But we can come to God in humility and say, God, I don't understand what's happening right now. My life is a mess. The world around me is in ruins. Everything seems impossible. I have nowhere to go but to you. And Jehoshaphat follows that statement up with the statement, but our eyes are on you. He's saying, God, I may not understand why I'm facing these trials right now, but I know that you have not abandoned me. He says, God, I don't know what to do, but I know you are going to help me. And that's hard. It's uncomfortable because we're really vulnerable in those moments. But that's what we see over and over in Scripture. I mean, entire books of the Bible, if you read Psalms or you read Lamentations or if you read a lot of the prophets, it's about God's people saying, God, I don't really understand what you have worked out here. I, there's a lot of problems. There's a lot of trials. There's a lot of enemies. But I know that you are going to work things for the glory of your name. God wants us to hand our fears and our struggles over to him. So let him help you. Pray to God for guidance. And then like Judah, we have to praise God at all times. And I do mean at all times, because I think we think a lot about praising God after he's given us success. And that's good. That's a good thing to do. But did you notice that the men of Judah are singing praises to God on the way to the battle in preparation for the battle? What does that suggest to you? Because to me, I see a people that trust in God so much that they know they are going to win this battle. A battle that just recently seemed impossible. A time where as a nation, they were completely lost. They had no idea what to do. But they have so much faith in God and in his word that they're fully confident that they're going to conquer And so they're praising God on the way to the battle, which I think is just such a great example for us. Because in the middle of their crisis, they remembered to praise God. They praised God in the victories and in the trials. I don't think it's a coincidence that Psalm 145, verse 21, just after David speaks about prayer and God's faithfulness and God's deliverance, he says this, My mouth will speak praise in the name of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. We should praise God for his prayer and for his love, and for his blessings, and for his deliverance. And I think we're really good about doing it after he's worked deliverance. But how often are you praising God in the moments where you feel lost? How often are you praising God in the moments where everything feels impossible? Even when your earthly future feels uncertain, when you're physically or mentally or emotionally exhausted, we have to praise our God. And then we have to choose to actually rely on God and his word because his ways are greater than ours. We're not going to fully understand what we're going through or why the world is the way that it is or why he commands us to love our neighbor, even though it's a lot easier to not. And we don't need to fully understand his ways. We can't. But we do need to trust God. 
And that's obviously not to say that we shouldn't strive to know God better daily. But it is to say that we should trust our God even though we won't ever fully understand him on this earth. And part of that means following his word. How do you think this story would have ended if when God told Jehoshaphat and Judah to go up to the battle and just kind of stand their ground and they said, "Mm, no, that sounds crazy. I am not going to do that. And they try to go up and they try to get ready for the battle and they try to work salvation out for their own hands. Is God going to give them the victory in that instance? Of course not. We know that. Because the Bible shows us over and over again that true faith, the kind of faith that Jehoshaphat and Judah showed in this story, the kind of faith that conquers is a faith that is dutifully obedient to the God that we can't see and dutifully obedient to his word. So then why do we try to do the same thing? Why do we try to say, well, yeah, I know that God created everything. And he knows everything. But I think that I've got this figured out. I think I'm going to rely on my own judgment, my own knowledge instead of God's perfect knowledge. And we probably wouldn't say it like that. But we live like it. We decide to choose our own imperfect desires and whatever we feel like doing over the perfect knowledge and the perfect instruction and the perfect wisdom of God. We have to trust in God's promises. We have to trust in his, in his word. So that means we have to trust in his commands. We have to do what he says, even when we don't like it, even when we don't understand it, we have to trust him anyway. Take the example of Jehoshaphat and let God fight your battles and follow him in, singing praises the whole way. Because as we know, just like in our story today, God wins in the end. There's no twist ending. We already know how it ends. His promises will come true. And God offers us more than we could even comprehend. It's not just that we'll make it through our trials in this life. It's so much more. His promise is that his people are going to be gathered to him eternally. That if you ally yourself with him, if you follow his word, if you have faith before you in this life, that you will conquer everything this life has to offer, but more, you will conquer death itself. 1 John 5, 1 through 5 tells us, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the father loves whoever has been born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except for the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? Just like Judah... God has promised an end to our trials. God has promised us that if we stick with him, we're going to win. So take God at his word. Let him, carry through him, let, let him carry you through your battles. So today, if you only get one thing from this story, if you only remember one thing about 2 Chronicles 20, 
and Jehoshaphat. I just want you to remember, just as God has a plan for Jehoshaphat and for Judah, he has a plan for you. And yes, that plan is going to have trials, and it's going to have problems, and there are times where you're going to want to give up, but you have to trust him. You have to follow his plan, because if you do, you will conquer all things. You will conquer death. Trust God, go to him, rely on him, follow him. This is how we make it through trials. And this is how Christians are called to live our life. Because God is calling us. He has a path for us. He's laid it out in scripture. He says that all who believe in God, his death on the cross and his resurrection and repent of their sins and are baptized will have eternal life in him. It may not make sense to us, We know that the cross is a stumbling block for Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But do you trust it? Do you trust yourself or do you trust God's plan? Because at the end of the day, if you're on God's side, you're going to conquer. So I don't know where you are in your life today. I don't know if you are with God or not. But if you've never put on Christ, you got to do that today. Because you may not have another day. Ally yourself with God. Choose him. Choose his grace. Or maybe you already have done that, but you weren't so good about following him. You've gone way off path. you got to come back. Because only those who follow God will be saved in the end. So if you need to repent and be baptized today, please come forward and do that. And if you need the prayers of the church, please come forward as we stand and sing. Oh,